when you're working with men around masculinity and uh, sexual addiction and trauma and abuse, what's step one for them to to work on that kind of gets them overcoming or starts to overcome these things? Yeah. Well, so we call it Restory uh, because most of the time, the story that's more out front, if you will, is the story of the failure, the addiction, the problem, the mental health struggles, whatever that is. But behind that is a deeper story. There is something that is going on that is driving or has has driven that uh, those problems, those addictions, whatever. And so I think some of the first step is recognizing where you are, but also recognizing that's not who you are. Mm. That yeah. behind that is another man who was designed by God to be uh, a, a certain way in the image of God and all of that. And so there's a there's an aspect of there is a story deeper still to who you are behind and beyond the struggles that you have. Hey, this is a quick shout out from one of our awesome sponsors. Check this out. Thank you to Tracy down at Tranquil Turn Massage in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Look, my wife and I, we see Tracy and her team every single month for a couple's massage, and it is the best thing. Tracy is a master massage specialist and a Hanu Ashiatsu trainer. You need to reach out to Tracy and her team. Make sure that you tell them that I sent you, and you'll get 25 bucks off your next massage. Also, while you're there, check out CDA Brows, Body, and Ink. Make sure to tell Tracy that I sent you, and you'll save 100 bucks on your next tattoo brows and plasma tightening services. <laughs> Chris, you're a husband and the founder and CEO of Restory Counseling. You're also the founder of Restoration Project, where you work with men on the restoration of their hearts and tons more. You're an author of multiple books, an absolute world changer, man. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, Eric. So good to be here. I like to kick things off by going back a bit. Where did you grow up and, and what was childhood like for you? Oh, man. I grew up in rural Colorado, up in the mountains, and huh. um, I was born into a family. My sister is five years older than I am, but she has uh, pretty severe mental and physical disabilities. So that was very shaping when you ask about my childhood. And, yeah. and you know, if you read any of the things that I've written, I mean, it's I talk a lot about that shaping aspect of my life growing up. Um, my dad was a lawyer, my mom stayed at home and, and took care of us, mostly my sister, but, but took care of us as kids. Uh, and it was from there that kind of launched out and left Colorado, went to college in Chicago and then lived several other places. So that's, okay. uh, that's all part of my story too. Wow. And you're a licensed professional counselor now. Why did you decide to get into counseling and, and who, or what was it that inspired you to go that route? I was living overseas. Um, I was in uh, Christian ministry in the Middle East. And so when I was wow. living there, I uh, kind of had a lot of my own personal awakening, my own sense of my own kind of journey as a man and journey as a father. And there were some significant gaps that I recognized in my own life, my own soul, my own heart and story. And so I just really wanted to jump in and start doing some of my own personal work living overseas, I did not have access to a counselor, uh, to, you know, any kind of resources of those kind. And so I just turned to books. Yeah, that was I had people. Uh, and I lived overseas before Kindle was kind of a thing. So I had people bring books over to me, and I just devoured them. And wow. I kept asking for certain types of books. And come to find out they were all kind of from the same family of thought, same, same uh, background. Many of them were professors at the same school. And so when I finally decided to leave and come back to the States, there was one, one place, one kind of direction that I wanted to go. And that was to counseling school in Seattle. And that's, that's what I ended up doing. So that wow. was now 16 years ago that that happened, but it's, uh, 
it was definitely what I wanted to jump into. Just the second half of life, this new movement into a retraining process for me of, you know, I had been this, now I'm going to move into that. What what a cool moment. Uh, I mean, to, yeah. to have that. Was there a book that was sent to you that you were just like, wow, this, this is like the one, or this is just an awesome book? Um, I would say there's probably like three or four. Uh, many of them were written by who's now become a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Dan Allender. Okay. Um, I read several of his books. Uh, there was one called Bold Love that just rocked my world. Uh, another called uh, The Healing Path that he wrote, again, also rocked my world. But um, there's a couple others by Kurt Thompson and John Eldridge and Larry Crabb and um, Al Andrews, like several guys that I was just like, oh, these are people that I just love. And I happened and I didn't know that they were all connected to each other until later. I was like, oh, they all kind of work together. No wonder they sound similar. No wonder I like them. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. No, we, we have this shared faith in Jesus. I came to know Jesus in my, in, around, when I was 24 years old, spent about 10 years just walking and lost in the world prior to that. Uh, for you, how did you come to know Jesus, man? My mother uh, really is the reason for that. So she was not a Christian. And then a neighbor lady, when I, just as I was born, my sister, as I said, was five years older and they were kind of struggling through the realities of all the loss and disappointment of, uh, the challenges that their life was now going to look like. And so she was in a place that this neighbor lady kind of just, you know, took her under her wing and loved on her and cared for her. And then as a result, you know, I was then born into this, uh, this family where there was already faith. So wow. I, I really attributed a lot to my mom. So cool, man. And I think it's, I think the women in my world, uh, have been, have like had that power of prayer. My grandma yeah. who will be 89 this month has been praying for me my entire life. And she has 54 grandkids and great grandkids. She prays for all of us 54. every day, but uh, wow. Yeah. And, and she's, I mean, interesting story. She's like four, seven. And my grandpa was six, two. And my grandma, when she was born, she was born, uh, under two pounds and they literally had to put her in the oven to keep her warm when she was born. And she had six babies who have generated 54 grandkids now. And, and, uh, man, it's still just alive and active. And she tries to memorize, um, verses from the Bible. She says, before I die, I want to memorize 100. She's memorized 92 so far. And, uh, so she, yeah, she, her prayers for me throughout my life is, is what got me back. Uh, I think in, in the right path there and now been sober and saved for about 18 years now. Wow. Uh, wow. I, I love the name restore because I think it, especially as men, we tend to hold on to our story and the experience that we were told as kids there from mm -hmm. others. When you're working with men around masculinity and uh, sexual addiction and trauma and abuse, what's step one for them to, to work on that kind of gets them overcoming or starts to overcome these things? Yeah. Well, so we call it restory uh, because most of the time, the story that's more out front, if you will, is the story of the failure, the addiction, the problem, the mental health struggles, whatever that is. But behind that is a deeper story. There is something that is going on that is driving or has, has driven that, uh, those problems, those addictions, whatever. And so I think some of the first step is recognizing where you are, but also recognizing that's not who you are. Mm. That yeah. behind that is another man who was designed by God to be uh, a, a certain way in the image of God and all of that. And so there's a, there's an aspect of, there is a story deeper still to who you are behind and beyond the struggles that you have. 
And oftentimes I think so much, you know, we're focusing on stop the behavior, change the sin, you know, change your thinking, do all that. All that is kind of out in front. And I think there's so much more really depth and value and importance and uh, identity buried underneath those things that, that if all we do is kind of focus on the out front stuff, then we totally miss that deeper stuff. So first is to recognize what's happening for you, but then have an openness that mm, that's actually not who you are. There is something mm. far deeper. That's so good. And I've done, I've gone through that myself. I'm 43 now. I didn't share my, my story till I was 39 years old. I just held on to the yeah. craziness. And, uh, you know, I came from the broken home, beat my mom's boyfriend up when I was 13 and I was in jail at 18 and battled addictions and drugs and, uh, bankrupt at 21. I mean, just crazy chaos and somehow lived through that. And, and now, you know, being where I'm at today, but why is it that why do you think men hold on to their stories? They're not very vulnerable when it comes to, you know, sharing that stuff. Why is that you think? Oh, I think it's because we've been taught to, I mean, a couple of things. One is it's not safe mm -hmm. for guys to share their stories. Yeah. Uh, and especially between men, because there's either like judgment or you look weak. If you start to be vulnerable, you look weak. No man wants to look weak, you know, that kind of thing. But then also we're rewarded for being the opposite of that, for being strong. The more you can push through, the more you can be successful, the more you can hold your stuff together, right? Like it, it just it is a sense like we're rewarded on one end and penalized on the other. So, so why would you ever go there? Right. Um, when in reality, like we are deeply emotional people just as much as women. And there is something about that that feels like uh, dismissed or diminished in, in guys. Uh, and also like we develop survival skills for the pain that we walk through, we develop survival skills. That is, um, you know, we develop armor, we develop a sense of protectiveness, defensiveness, whatever you want to call it. We learn how to survive the tragedies and traumas that we live through. And much of the time that is either power up or power down power up is get stronger and, and faster and, and, you know, more bold and power down is like, I'm going to hide behind these very, very thick walls. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's why I think, you know, Hey, and, and then those are the things that we're rewarded for wow, he's a strong man, nothing bothers him, you know, or, you know, wow, he keeps to himself. That's awesome. He doesn't cause anybody trouble. So those, I think we fall into those categories often that prevents us from, from bringing ourselves, bringing our full self, uh, all the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I know I've powered up and powered down many times throughout my life. And, you know, even now, like I'm, I'm going through some through counseling and just like enjoying this moment of going, okay, what is it that got me to where I'm at today? Like, why, why do I have these thoughts? Like, you know, like, uh, how, why did I have to go through all that stuff? And, and I'm going through this stage of like forgiveness and where I've in, in just forgiving myself at times, you know, and, um, with my parents and all that, it's just kind of crazy. Um, and I know, like I said, I've been powered up, I've powered down many times and I've put on that stuff that's, you know, tough outfit or oh, I, nothing can bother me. Yeah. Uh, and then there's moments where I go, man, God, I, I need you right now, man. I, yeah. I need you to take some of this off my shoulders. Yeah. I know when I hit 40 years old, I started to get kind of depressed because I didn't, I wasn't where I pictured myself being at that moment, you know, and, and men, I think we tend to hit this midlife crisis and sometimes pretty destructive things can happen. When men go through this midlife crisis, what is it that they're searching for? I think, so a couple ways I like to talk about midlife. So first of all, a good friend of mine, he calls it midlife awakening versus mm -hmm. a midlife crisis. Because I think actually what ends up happening is that we wake up to the reality that the life that we have is not the life that actually wants to live in, in us. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I take that kind of quote from an author, 
his name is Parker Palmer. And he, he says that the life is the life that you're living, the life that wants to live inside of you. And I think we wake up to that reality around 40 because we've survived thus far and our survival skills stop working as well as they used to. Mm-hmm. The things that we've attached our minds and our hearts and, you know, kind of hitched our identity to really isn't panning out the way that we wanted it to pan out or or, or hoped it would pan out. And we're kind of reckoning with the reality of like, oh, now what do I do? (laughs) Now what? And and a lot of guys in who are in the crisis moment go, all right, well, if if that marriage or that job or that certain number that I was aiming for in my bank account, if that's not actually giving me the life that I thought it would, or the fulfillment or the sense of identity and validity, whatever you want to call it, maybe if I just change wives or jobs or number in the bank account that I'm shooting for, maybe that will. And I think we go through enough renditions of that that we realize, oh, wait, this this whole system doesn't actually work. Right. Now, what do I do? The system that I had is no longer working. I'm left with empty hands and nowhere to go. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where we enter into either crisis or awakening at that moment. Man, that that just makes so much sense. I know a buddy of mine, unfortunately, he did kind of go through this midlife awakening recently and decided to go full-time musician and get walk away from his wife and his kids and i'm like man what are you doing like he's like going on tour and he's like you know he's almost 50 but he's like he told his wife if if i don't do it now i'm never going to have another shot and i'm thinking man your daughter everything you're just walking away from just for this one thing come on man like do that but don't walk away from just crazy man yeah you know in in some of the work that i've done i i talk about this in in these terms um either our projections are our personas. Mm-hmm. And we have, I think all of us have these internal questions that we're looking to the external world to answer. And the projections are, I project myself, my question onto, like I just said, my bank account, my marriage, my children, my job, whatever it is I project. And I try to find that validity there. And then the persona is the mask that I put on myself. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, persona comes from theater. And so when you walk onto the stage there, you, you take on a persona. And so maybe the persona is the sports guy and the jock or the geek and the, you know, or the, uh, you know, academic, whatever it is, the, the life of the party, whatever persona that is, we get some sense of like, well, when I do that, I get these things. Uh, and what ends up happening, I think in midlife is that our projections and our personas, like I just said, they, they start to fail us mm-hmm. or they, we start to be dissatisfied with them. And the reality is nothing externally can answer those internal questions in the first place. Yep. We've been spending 40 years, 50 years trying for that. And it sounds like your friend is, is like I said, just hitching his, his, you know, projection onto another career that is actually decimating the family that he's leaving behind. Yeah. 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 Very, very, very sad story. I'm just going to be praying for him that, and his wife is strong through it right now, but it's just crazy for sure. I wanted to talk about your Thrive Marriage Lab because I was reading through your website and man, this looks really cool. But what is it? And when you work with couples, is there a common theme that you see kind of as this struggle that they deal with? Oh, yeah. So Thrive Marriage Lab is, uh, it is an online community cohort. I mean, it is on like course then we also, so people can just like take the course and watch the videos and teachings and stuff, but it's really a community, a cohort that we guide through a 12 month journey that deepens your connection and relationship in your marriage. So when you ask, uh, what is the common theme? 
I think, uh, I think what I see is this, that is that most marriages back to what I was saying earlier about something being out front, most marriages have a sense that our problem is our communication, our lack of conflict, the in-laws, the sex life, the, you know, whatever the thing is that feels like it's out front. And that's what they go to counseling to quote unquote fix. But really what is ending up happening is that those things that are out front are the outworkings of unknown and untold personal stories that are affecting their relationship. And I talk about it in the sense of like the story war mm-hmm. that is between him and her, that, that, that it's, 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 yes, it affects our communication, but why do you communicate that way? How is it, what is happening when you're communicating? What is triggering you? And what is the story behind that trigger? And as couples can really learn more about themselves and then have an openness and vulnerability and compassion for each other in their stories, what they bring into the marriage, then all of a sudden things begin to, you know, empathy and compassion increases, the communication struggles and the conflict decreases. Hmm. The problem isn't the addiction. The problem isn't the, the communication. The problem is these, these unknown and untold and unexplored narratives that couples bring into the relationship. That's what we focus on in the Thrive Marriage Lab, which ultimately leads us into deeper connection because uh, one of my favorite authors, his name is Kurt Thompson. He says that we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. Oh, wow. Wow. And I love that quote because I know I want my wife to find me Mm -hmm. and I don't want my wife to fix me. And I don't want to fix my wife. And I don't think if I fix my communication and she fixes hers, then we'll be better. No, I want to be found and I want to find her. That's the real space of intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. And that's what we drive towards. Man, that's amazing. I love that. My wife and I, we celebrated 18 years of being married uh, this year. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I, we just, when we said, I do, we were in that moment. We said, you know what? We, we mean it. When we're going to say, I do, there's going to be rough times being married for 18 years. Not every year is rainbows and sunshine. Uh, but you, you know, we, we've been able to, uh, you know, have this shared goal of breaking the chains of divorce, abuse, rejection, and addiction that affected both of our childhoods. Yeah. And, uh, man, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's so important. I think to, to have that where, you know, my wife can find me and I can find her and, and we can have this great communication. And uh, I think I struggled with that because those untold stories affected me just in the last couple of years. And I was like, oh man, what, what's going on here? You know, so it's so interesting. Uh, um, now, like I mentioned, you also founded Restoration Project, which this sounds so awesome. And I checked out the website, watched the video. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go out, the, you know, and do this. But what is the Restoration Project? What's that journey that you take men through in this project? Yeah. So our vision and restoration project is uh, is a world of restored men. And we kind of break that down into three main categories that every man uh, fills these certain roles. Every man, whether or not he has children, every man has father energy, mm. okay? is called the father of the world. Every man is a brother. Even if he doesn't have siblings, he's a brother to other people, right? Yeah. And then every man is a son, uh, specifically a son of God. And so- in the area of fatherhood and brotherhood and sonship, we have resources and experiences that we guide men through to deepen both their awareness, their skill set, and also specifically back to story, the connection to their stories that as we heal our wounds and we come to know God, we then become restorers of the world. So 
We run fatherhood expeditions. We have fatherhood resources that help you explore your own father's story. But then also as you write the father's story for your children or, you know, others in the world, like what is it that you want to bring? Uh, we do father son and father daughter expeditions and backcountry. I'm going in a couple of weeks to take a whole troop of people over to Kenya as a, with a fathers and older sons and daughters, just to like, what does it look like for us to open our eyes for our children to be global citizens to kind of break their heart for the world as they now enter into, you know, the, the soon to be launched stage of their lives. Like I want to, I want to be intentional about that. So it's all about intention in, in that sense with fatherhood. And, and then brotherhood is all about masculine friendships and relationships and deep di you know, diving deeper. How do we do that? How do we have more than just like stand around the grill with a beer talk and actually get into each other's lives and share those stories in meaningful and transformative ways. And, and then also sonship stuff too. Like how do we grow in understanding of our lives as, as a son of God and, um, and, and what does that mean to bring to the world? So that's what we do in Restoration Project, resources and experiences that are architected specifically for, for those things. So important to, to do that. And you talked about, you know, having, having your kids experience that global experience. You know, my wife and I, when we first married the first two years, we went down and we built homes down in Mexico and uh, yeah. with, with an organization called YWAM. And it was like, you know, I'm trying to be this manly guy. And then, you know, we're handing the keys off to this family and we're all just booger crying, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, we want our kids to experience that. And, uh, you know, so we're looking forward to doing those type of trips with our kids soon. It's so important for that. Now, while I was reading through your website, something caught my eye, which I thought was really funny. Um, it, and, and I wanted to ask you about this. One of the, the restoration projects values that you had on there is no rubber chicken. <laughs> can, can you deep dive into the values uh, that you have set? And what is the, this rubber chicken you talk about? <laughs> so um, we have a really high value of excellence, that everything that we do is going to be top notch and excellent and you know that it exceeds expectations. So if you come on any one of our trips, whether your son is eight or 18, like, you know, we want to exceed the expectations for everyone involved. So we, we got the word no rubber chicken because <laughs> we were honestly, we were talking about doing a fundraising dinner. Okay. And I had just been to another organization's fundraising dinner at the local, like big hotel ballroom. And they brought out overcooked chicken and like limp vegetables. <laughs> And the chicken like tasted like rubber and the okay. vegetables like were just mush on the plate. And I'm like, oh, no. so as we were talking about this fundraiser, even the things that we're doing in fundraising is like no rubber chicken. We're not going to do that. We're going to exceed expectations. That's actually, you know, uh, later this week, we have a fundraiser that will be uh, a cardboard boat derby for, uh, for fathers and their kids to build a cardboard boat. Then man it the children actually get in it and then race it on the lake i don't know if you've heard of these before but yeah. it's a fundraiser and it's intentional fatherhood it's intentional engagement between the the father and his kid and then it's also like raising money for the organization so it's it's just going to be super fun and exceeds expectations that's where that comes from no that is again. amazing i love that so good <laughs> uh, what what is your message to the world man oh what a broad question eric yeah um <laughs> I would say that my primary message to the world is that um, God is far more excited about your glory than he is worried about your sin. Mm -hmm. 
He's far more excited about the son or daughter that he intended all those eons ago before you ever walked the planet. And he's far more excited about that guy than he is worried about any of the problems, any of the struggles, any of the, the sin that you have in your life. Like, and, and because of that, he's far more excited about bringing you home, hmm. bringing you back to himself, bringing you back to the man that he made you to be. And I just see that when I, when I can see that restoring process, which is why we call it restory. He's not writing a new one in your life. He's bringing you back to the first one in your life. Yeah. Uh, and if we, when I see that restoring process happen in people's lives, it's like, oh, this is who I was meant to be. And, and of course, we never fully arrive in that. Right. But when we can begin to walk that journey, it is like the, the, the sun comes out in, in our lives uh, and we actually are able to live into hope and healing and, and those kinds of things. So that would be my primary message to the world. I love that. It's so good. Uh, now I'm a music guy. So I've asked the question, uh, you know, do you have a favorite band that you like to listen to or a favorite type of music you like to listen to? Uh, well, I am uh, highly addicted to almost all things, Scotland and Ireland. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So, nice. um, so I love <laughs> my children often joke with me because I have trained them to love bagpipes, which is not things that, you know, most kids grew up <laughs> loving. Okay. There is one song from the Braveheart um, soundtrack that is the most played. It's a, I forget the name of it. It's just always on my playlist, Okay, uh, but it is this short little uh, ballad of a, uh, a bagpipe. And it's the most played song on my Spotify playlist and every one of my children's Spotify playlist. So <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a little crazy. Um, that is awesome. Currently, currently I just discovered uh, a band called Gaelic Storm, and okay. uh, I'm loving it. Okay. I'm going to have to check those out and uh, get that Braveheart soundtrack. That is awesome. Uh, Chris, you're an absolute world changer, man. Thank you so much for coming on and just speaking life over the listeners and myself today, man. This is truly an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. As I said, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for checking out the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope that my guest was able to bring you some amazing wisdom and knowledge to help you continue to fight for your goals, your dreams, and your purpose. If you could do me one big favor and just hit that subscribe button, I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Keep changing the world. I believe in you. Have an amazing day.